Last week we talked about Gentiles being sinful, right? People outside of the Jewish faith breaking all the rules and bringing bringing jewels, bringing judgment about upon themselves. Yep. And tonight we're going to talk about how even the Jewish people receive God's just judgment. Okay, so we're going to talk about that tonight. Um, does anyone want to open us up in prayer? I would. My guy? Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this great time we have here to talk to you and help us as we dive into your word. Help us to pay attention. Help us stay strong in you. Help us as we are going through school. Help everyone have a great week. And if they have any tests or quizzes, help them to do well. Thank you, David. All right. Now, what does the gospel mean? Good news. Okay. All right. Uh, what is the good news? We're going to be playing games with any of y'all tonight. Uh, now, why did he have to die for your sins? Someone on the back row. Why did Jesus have to die for your sins? Not wrong, but not the answer I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're only on track, Simon. Yeah, good job. Good job. Well done. Well done. Well, be an encourager. This is the second time. All right. Here's a very fitting question. What is What is grace? <laughs> All right, so show yourself some grace as well. God's undeserved love for sinners. All right, now, who wrote the book of Romans? All right. He is a goat, that's for sure. Now, who was the original audience of this book? The Church of Rome. The Church of the Jews in the Rome. Who consisted both of? Jews and Gentiles. Yeah, well done. Uh, does anyone know why this book was written? Book of Romans. To straighten them up. I mean, again, it's a very bl- like a very bland answer. It's not wrong, but maybe. So Paul was writing a letter to introduce himself. Say, hey, I'm Paul, and he wanted to clarify any theological disagreements between Jews and Gentiles, and to remind them of the gospel of God. So, last week we finished Romans 1. It was a bit intense as Paul had a a pretty scathing critique against all of humanity, both Jews and Gentiles. Everyone had suppressed. Remember, we suppressed the truth. uh, And we choose to worship what? False? Huh? Yeah, got idols. Same thing. Same thing. Uh, And we sin against God and one another. Now, Paul, in chapter 2, which is what we're going to go through tonight, he turns and he begins to address religious people. So last week he was saying, here's all the people that are blatantly against me. And just in case you think you're safe too, overtly religious people also receive the judgment of God because they have no place to judge others, but they're sinners before God as well. So tonight we'll, we'll learn that, A, all of us who are Christians and, and non-Christians are right, we have no right to judge other people. Um, but God is the one who judges justly. We learn that hearing the gospel just hearing it is not enough to be saved. We must be transformed from the what? Inside, Inside out. out. Yeah, good job. And then God's faithfulness still shines through our un, unfaithfulness, right? So even though at times we're unfaithful, God is still faithful. So we got a longer passage tonight. If anyone wants to help me read it, I'd be greatly appreciative. Let me grab a Bible so I can be on the same page as y'all. 
Romans 2? What page? Um, 639. All right, 639. All right, so. David, I would like for you to read 2, 1 through 10. Okay. Macy, I would like you to read 2, 12 through 16. I'm going to read 2, 17 through 2, 24. Simon, you read 2, 25 to 2, 29, which is the end of the chapter. And Miss Caroline, you read 3, 1 through 8. Okay? So as I'd like to continue, please stand as we pay reverence. Thank you. You may be seated. So, lots of giggling there unnecessarily, but we'll cover it here in a second. Hold on. What did you have a question? I thought you were asking a question. Okay. So that's okay. Let, let me cover that before we we get into it. So I know you're giggling over circumcision, but them, yeah. Um, so in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, when God called about His nation, what the people? Which people did He call? The Jews, the Israelites, right? And they were to be set apart for God to be distinctively different from everyone else. And they had a means by which they set apart the males from all other males, and that was to be circumcised. Now, that was what set them apart as Israelite males compared to everyone else. Now, when Jesus came and died for our sins, what replaced circumcision as a, set up, a sign to be set apart from? Baptism. Baptism. So baptism now sets you apart in the death, life, I mean, the, the, the life, death, and burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so it's a symbol, just like circumcision was a symbol. So he's talking about here, and we're going to get into it, is that some people would be prideful in saying, I'm set apart from God because I've done this, this physical act. And what Paul is saying is actually, whether you have or ha- you have not, what matters most is the change or this, this being set apart that has occurred inside of your heart. Does that make sense? So that's why he, we'll go over it, but that's why he really gets after it. David? Well, you raise your hand when he comes back. Now, in, in 2, 1 through 3, Paul condemns something repeatedly. What, what is it? Yeah. It's just your question or the answer? This is the question. Go for it. So how, was baptism... Uh, nowadays, and baptism then, was it totally different? Or did they... No, I mean, uh, we think, uh, I mean, the word, the Greek word, baptismo, literally means to submerse. So we, we as Baptists and others that baptize by submersion thinks, think that that's the most accurate way, I mean, the most biblically accurate to baptize. And they would have pits in the ground, and they would baptize people. But also think about John the Baptist. He was baptizing them, and it talks about Jesus going under the water and then coming back out, and then we hear of the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus and, and the dove and, and God speaking. 
So I think that, that the baptism then is how we do it now. And that's why we think that it's the correct way to do it. Okay, yeah. Shoot. Yeah, so last week we were talking about Gentiles who were idolizing pagan gods, idols, golden calves, all these things that they created to worship. And then also they did unnatural things. We talked about like how homosexuality is not new. Like Paul addresses it in the last chapter. And so now he turns to the, his attention to Jewish people and he criticizes them for being judgmental. And so this doesn't mean like the word judge. You're, you're supposed to create good judgments in your life. Like Maddox goes up and he's in college and someone offers him to do something and he has to make a judgment whether it's right or wrong. And I hope he makes the right decision because I love him. Always here for him, my dog. But what they're talking about is being judgmental where I would say like Brody is, uh, I, I don't, I'm, I'm condemning Brody. Brody's a bad person because I heard him lie one time. Brody, you're not a Brody. Okay, guys, that was a, that was a joke. But he, um, Paul is condemning these Jews because he's, they're passing judgment on others while they don't think they deserve judgment themselves. Does that make sense? Do we do that in our lives? The answer is yes. I know that you all do because I do. Now, when what is God's kindness in Romans 2, 4? What does that mean? David read it. Therefore, we were buried with him. Oh, that's chapter 6. Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is what? Intended to lead you to repentance. So his grace does not, when we say what is grace, we say God's undeserving love for sinners. We're not saying that because Simon received grace when he became a Christian that he just goes on doing whatever he wants to do, right? It's not a blank check to do what you want. At the same time, Paul is also speaking to self-righteous people and religious people, reminding them that even though they may look good on the outside, they still need to repent, that they too are still sinners. And so when God meets our sin, which happened at the, where? Where did that happen, Brody? Happened on the cross, with his love on the cross. And we don't respond with repentance. What do we store up? He says it in this passage. We store up what? When we don't respond to God's grace and repentance, we store up something for ourselves. Yes, but what's God's response to sin? Storing up wrath. Yeah. Storing up wrath. So Paul starts to talk about someone in verses 12 through 13. Who who is that? What? Yes, so there's people that have sinned without the law, and there are people who've sinned under the law. Who would you call people that have sinned without the law? But in our two categories, which one do you think they are? Who's are the, who are those without the law? Gentiles, right? They're not God's chosen people, historically speaking. They are now because of Jesus. So those that don't have the law are Gentiles, and those that do have the law are Jews, Jews because they received it in Exodus 20 when Moses climbed up the mountain and gave them what? Right. Okay. So 
uh, Paul is saying that both of them, he puts them on the same playing field, Gentiles and Jews, and he says they're going to be judged whether they've been taught God's moral law or not, whether you go to church your whole life or not. So that's why we spread the gospel, right? Because all of you, you're hearing the gospel, hopefully from me every week and Dr. Mike on Sunday and maybe uh, also in your homes as well. And so you will be judged under the law, right? Now, if you put your hope and faith and, and you repent in Christ, God looks at you and justifies you by judging who in your place? Jesus. Jesus. But for the, so you have the law. It's been made clear to you through, through Christianity. Now, there may be people that we talked about last week in Romans 1.20 that never hear the gospel. And so we discussed about, is it fair for them to go to hell? And we said, yes, it is, because everyone is a sinner. And so it's saying here, Paul is putting everybody on a legal and an, uh, even legal playing field. Whether or not we've heard the gospel, we're still sinners against God, and sin always has consequence. Paul wants to remind the Jews in this passage, uh, those that are, do you remember the Sadducees and the Pharisees? Remember those guys? So they are particularly what? Religious. They were really good at following rules. Do you think they were actually following Jesus? No, it's very clear that they're not. And so Paul is still saying that like, even hearing his law is not enough. You have to actually obey it. You have to be doers of the law. Now, in, uh, in Romans 2, 25 through 29, which is what Simon read, what surprising thing does Paul say about circumcision? So we just explained the importance of that, the cultural importance of that. And benefits you Say that again. Yep. So it, it, it's an outward sign of God's promise to Abraham to give him a son. That's where it started. And also it's, it's at the same time, it's a matter of the heart. God, uh, do you think God just cares about outward signs of obedience? No. No, no I don't think so either. But he, okay, he cares about our obedient heart posture. Our posture towards God, not about whether or not my shoulders are back, which I need to do more and not slouch, but our heart, heart posture, I can't say it, heart posture, the way that our heart is directed towards the Lord. So circumcision in this case, historically speaking, the sign of God's covenant promises was not just about a matter of cutting. But it was a matter of the heart because after Christ, the physical aspect that I talked to you about of circumcision has been replaced by baptism. baptism. But Paul clarifies the spiritual aspect remains for all believers. So the whole instead of like a parent doing it um, to the, a young newborn child in uh, ancient Israel, the Holy Spirit is now the one that comes in and and cleans your heart and sets you apart before God. Um, now, does anyone, like, I, I love sports. I like to watch sports. Um, and you always get uh, the underdog story, the, the guys that are maybe smaller in stature or scrappy players, and they always say they have a lot of what? Heart. Heart. All right. What about some, any, any classic players coming to mind? Jose Altuve, yep, got a lot of heart. So, and they don't they don't necessarily have to be small in stature. They could be the you know the sixth man, the twelfth man. You know this idea that the person it's not the the most 
It's not the MVP player of the team. It's not the guy with the big contract, but it's someone that makes a difference by being there every day, day in and day out. You can talk about Rodman, okay? He was crazy during the Bulls, but he really only ever did one thing. It was a deep rebound, but he made a difference in their team. Played the most games. Well, I think it's been eclipsed now, but um, no? No, no, no. It's like 3,000 or something. But... um, so everyone knows the story about like guys with a lot of heart or girls with a lot of heart that stand up to insurmountable odds and succeed. Now, what if we think of a Bible story, what's one that we think of? Yep, David and Goliath. So who was Israel's first king? Saul. Saul, very good. But when Saul disobeyed God, God sent a prophet Samuel uh, to anoint a new king, right? And Jesse, David's dad, had a lot of sons. And did a lot of them look more attractive and appealing than yes. David? In fact, the, you know, they show up and they're like, uh, basically anybody but David will do. And what does God say? He responded to Samuel and said, I don't look upon the appearance, but I look upon the heart. The heart. And because the Lord does not see as man sees, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart, 1 Samuel 16. So one by one, Samuel met with all of David's older brothers, and it ends up being David. And so now we know the rest of that story, but to connect it to a modern audience, one of my favorite Marvel movies is the first Captain America. I think it's classic. All right, so what happens there? We've got a guy who is... Too small. He's got a lot of heart. He's got a lot of heart, but he's got a lot of physical issues that he gets disqualified from service. Well, someone sees him and says, "Hey, I I think they might. This guy might be the the quality candidate candidate for this super serum that makes them into a super soldier." And so they go through boot camp, and the the guy, whoever Robert Robert Lee Jones plays, he picks that other guy, Hodge, I think is his name. It's like a big dude, and, and he's a bully. And, the, and you kind of, it's inferred by the movie that whatever he gets is just going to make who he is already more powerful. So he'll just be a more powerful bully. And so they decide on Captain America, Steven, Steve Rogers, because he had the right heart. And so it does matter what is on the inside. Heart does matter, what your motivations are, what... Uh, leads you to make decisions, whether you are obedient or disobedient to God. So let's move into so what here as we kind of slow down for the evening. Now, at the beginning of Romans 2, Paul addresses Jews who were God's chosen people. We understand that. That's in the Old Testament. How does he accuse them of behaving in Romans 2, 1 through 5 and 17 through 29? So this side, tell me how uh, Paul accuses them in 1 through 5. And this side, tell me how he accuses them in 17 through 29. Yeah, so self-righteousness, judging others while they're stuck in the same sin. Yep, absolutely. Now what about the other side? He says, I keep turning the wrong page. So like, if you're God's chosen people, you can still have to follow the, like, his rules and you can, just because you're circumcised or whatever you're chosen doesn't mean you're... Absolutely. So just because like you've got the bear, the markers or the uniform of being God's chosen people doesn't mean that you get a pass. Like just because you look like 
God's chosen people doesn't mean that you don't have to act that way. So yeah, good. So he, he gets them for faking it, and while faking it, being self-righteous and judgmental towards others. Now, do you think, I read on the internet today that the, what do you think the most popular Bible verse is? John 3, 6. Okay, so I wrote that. So um, people, people say that used to be the most popular Bible verse, but now it's Matthew 7, 1. Does anyone want to look that up and read it? All right, Griffin. Matthew 7, 1 is now the most popular. And we're going to talk about why we think it's that way. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. Duparsha stared you down. He turned around. So do not be judged lest you be judged. So now what the world thinks of us rather than John three sixteen, is they think of us as people who are judgmental, right? And we already talked about how being judgmental is not Maddox making the right decision, calling something wrong when it's wrong and something right when it's right. But it's in fact saying, I'm better than you. I don't, I don't sin like you or God isn't going to punish me like he does, like he's going to do you. So now people think of Christians as someone that are overtly judgmental. And, and that's tough. That's a tough place to be, is it not? Because people, um, and, and there's something we can do about that. And so what do you think we can do about that as we wrap up? Not be, yeah, I mean, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus says, what are the two most important commandments? Yeah, but that's the hardest one for us to do because we see others and we think, well, uh, Caroline is not, you know, she's worse than me. Like, I know her. Like, I see what she does and it's, I don't do that. And while it may be true that you and I don't have the end of the same individual struggles with sin, does that, does that mean that God somehow thinks I'm less of a sinner than Brody? No, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that'll come in Romans chapter three. So, as a people uh, in church, to one degree or another, we've all likely heard the gospel, yes? And we've talked about what the gospel is. It's the good news that Jesus came to live a perfect life so that he might die, be buried, and rise again to defeat death so that your sins might be forgiven. And so we've heard the gospel. Gospel. Do you think of yourself more as a hearer or a doer? A hearer or a doer, right? So we all hear it. And Paul says, don't just be hearers. Well, actually, James tells us, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And so we don't need to be judging each other right now because most of us are probably just hearers, right? We hear it, we digest it, but we don't ever do it in public. We don't ever share it. Now, some of us do. And I'm not saying that all of you never have done that. I hope that you have shared the gospel when, when time. But the gospel calls us to change our life. How does the gospel call to change our life? Big question. By using our life to lead other people. Yeah, because who did that for us? Jesus, Jesus right? He, he forsook everything to leave his, earth, his heavenly throne to come down to be fully God and fully man, to take on all of our sins so that, we might be, so that he might live a perfect life, die our, our death in our place, 
and then rise again so that we might call upon him and be forgiven. So he gave his all. So it would only be fair if we did that to others. Now, like we've talked about here, Jesus is not calling you to go to the cross, right? When he tells us to pick up our cross and die daily. But he is saying, put yourself second to whoever else might be in your life. Because Jesus, amazingly, literally God himself, put himself second before our needs. Because could we save ourselves? No. Right? No. How long did it take us to sin? I'm 34. I don't know if it took me two years, maybe. I don't know, three years, four years. You know, I don't know when I finally figured out what right was what right what right from wrong was, but then once I did, I did wrong and I sinned. And you all did the same. Now God does desire our obedience. Yes, that's obvious. I think that's true. He cares more about our hearts than our outward appearances. Yes. What might it mean for I don't take it seriously. Be mature. What might it mean for the Spirit to circumcise your heart? To strengthen I feel like it means that like God is taking like helping us with like parts that we probably would need help in, in our lives. Yeah, taking away things that we can't take away on our own. Removing things from our heart that don't need to be there. And so you're right. I mean, because we can't do things on our own. Parks, look up here. So, last question, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Do you ever take God's kindness for granted? Yes. I do. <laughs> I'm pretty, I mean, I do. I mean, I don't know how many times I've sinned in the same way in my life or how many times I've said, God, I don't, I'll try never to do that again, and then I do it again. Or how many times I get upset with people who love me or people that I love and, and, and I sin against them and I'm rude or I'm angry and I take for granted that God has forgiven me and that God will forgive me so long as I repent. And in fact, once I place my repentance in Christ, he's forgiven me of all my sins, past, present, and future sins, which is huge. That's, I mean, no one else can do that. Now, how might we not take him for granted, his kindness for granted in this upcoming week? Pray. I think that's just pray and thank him. Thank you, God, for forgiving me. Thank you for being so patient with someone like me. Um, thank you for listening to me. Uh, you're God of the universe, yet you have time to listen to my thoughts and my prayers. I mean, that's incredibly generous. So the main takeaway is that oftentimes people who are the most outwardly religious are the quickest to judge the sins of others while ignoring the sins in their own lives. So be careful of that. Be careful to judge others before you judge yourself. Um, you know, Jesus talks about don't judge the, the brothers, your, the speck in your brother's eye without first removing the plank that's in yours, the board that's in your eyes. Once you do that, then go help him remove the dust in his eye. So Paul in this, in this chapter emphatically, which means what? Emphatically. Yeah, strongly, enthusiastically. Paul emphatically condemns this self-righteous judgment and reminds us that God cares more about the condition of our heart than our outward appearances. Okay, so this week I want you to focus on your heart and the heart of others. When you pray, thank God that he's cleansed your heart. And while we'll still struggle with sin on this side of heaven, he's forgiven you. And for those of you that have not trusted in Jesus, I would always love to talk to you about that. 
um, how God can and will forgive you if you call on his name.